You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off this week. A washout has destroyed a section of Highway 20, sweeping away one vehicle over the edge this morning. It happened just west of Williams Lake. And while the driver was pulled to safety, there's now a huge gap in the highway, cutting off access for a number of smaller communities. Catherine Urquhart explains who's affected by the washout and how long it could be before it's fixed. At least 150 meters of roadway gone. It was about 3 a.m. when this washout happened, approximately 25 kilometers west of Williams Lake. This truck and the man driving it were swept an estimated 150 meters, 500 feet, down the bank. Incredibly, he's okay after a witness called for help. There was an individual who was traveling the highway that saw a vehicle get washed up in this landslide and actually had a sat phone with them and called the RCMP. That individual was pulled from the river safely and has been confirmed that that person was the only one in that car. A search and rescue helicopter has been scouring the area to see if any additional vehicles may have been caught up in the slide. The RCMP don't have any indication or evidence to support that there are other vehicles missing or anybody else involved. However, they remain on scene with search and rescue as well as other emergency personnel to make sure. Highway 20, which links Williams Lake and Bella Coola, is now closed indefinitely and a detour is being considered. One of the secondary routes that we're looking at is, is the side road system via the West Fraser Road. Rudy Johnson's a bridge that was established back in, uh, I believe it was the late 60s. Uh, it's a single lane bridge, uh, but uh, it uh, you know, performs well. Uh, it can take legal loading. As for when the washed out section of highway could be repaired, that remains unclear. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And check out this surprise for drivers eastbound on Highway 1 this afternoon. Lots of thick smoke in the air as a semi-truck catches fire just off the Portman Bridge before 152nd Street. Thankfully, the driver was not hurt. No word on what caused the fire. And a shocking scene unfolding in a Port Coquitlam neighborhood. Reports of gunfire around 7 o'clock last night led to a large police presence, including the emergency response team. And when it was all over... One man was dead. Witnesses tell our Grace Key that, about what they saw and why the Independent Investigations Office has now been called in. Terrifying moments for a Port Coquitlam neighborhood as an armored vehicle rolls down the street and police officers in full tactical gear surround a home. It happened on the 2100 block of Audrey Drive. Neighbors say just after 7 o'clock last night, they heard gunfire. Pop, 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 pop. More like, that's gunshots. And we're, okay, something big is going on. So we went and hid the kids behind the fireplace. Coquitlam RCMP responded to calls of a distraught male threatening to harm himself. There were also initial reports of the man firing shots into the air outside his home. RCMP contained the scene and members of the integrated Lower Mainland Emergency Response Team were called to the area. At one point, you could hear police calling to people inside the home. And then a bang. 
and assumed it was a, a flash grenade or a concussion grenade. When police arrived, the man was outside the home. He and officers both fired shots. The man was later found dead behind a vehicle. The Independent Investigation Office, a civilian watchdog agency, has been on the scene. Uh, our investigation is, as I mentioned, going to be focusing on whether the, uh, the injuries and the fatality of the male as a result of self-inflicted wounds or wounds by the uh, police. No one else was hurt, though some people in the area say at least one bullet went through a neighbor's home. Grace Key, Global News. Questions tonight about what appears to be a grad prank at a high school in Burnaby and whether it went too far. Jay Durant is live in our newsroom with the details. And Jay, we know this is a tradition, but some of what we're seeing here is offensive and disrespectful. Yeah, Chris, it happened at Burnaby Central as classes are winding down this week. A number of incidents, including someone setting off smoke bombs out in the field today. There were some end-of-the-year grad events scheduled earlier in the day. These smoke bombs going off with a number of students gathered around the field. But someone also setting off a smoke bomb inside the school. And that's not all. A chicken released inside the school as well. Someone snapping a picture of that. And back outside, some offensive graffiti spray-painted on the side of the storage container, targeting the principal. When I got to school, I heard that there was graffiti, and they even um, took the, they even had to like open all the windows and stuff, so the, the print was not seen, because it was apparently very sexist and racist. And then after, <laughs> like, around third block, the fire, someone pulled the fire alarm, and then there were, like, smoke bombs yeah. everywhere. So we evacuated. Yeah, everyone evacuated to a field. Now, we reached out to the superintendent of the school district who wasn't aware of the incident. We've contacted the principal of Burnaby Central but haven't had a response yet. Chris. All right. Hopefully we get that before news at 11 tonight. Thanks very much, Jay. A woman charged in connection with a deadly attack outside a Vancouver nightclub appeared in court today. 29-year-old Samantha Doolin, seen here in the purple hoodie, is charged with manslaughter after allegedly attacking Lauren McClellan outside the Caprice nightclub last August. McClellan was rushed to hospital with serious head injuries, but later died. Today was day one of a five-day preliminary hearing. Details of what happened are protected under a publication ban. It's still unclear at this point if this case will ever go to trial. Doolin is currently out on bail. The B.C. Liberals promising some major policy changes in the upcoming throne speech, pledging to raise welfare rates and ban big money in politics. Keith Baldry is live with more on this. Keith. Hmm, those don't sound like liberal ideas, and really they aren't, are they? No, they're not, and really this throne speech is unlike any other, Chris, because it's basically dead on arrival. It's going to be voted down uh, eventually, so the Liberals are basically going through this thing. This is the confidence and supply agreement between the B.C. Greens and the NDP, basically cherry-picking a whole bunch of items out of here and putting them in the throne speech, a throne speech that will be the basis of the Liberal uh, election platform when the next election rolls around. So we're talking about a $100 a month increase uh, to social assistance rates, uh, first increase in a decade, uh, disability rates now going to be be tied to the cost of living, the Canadian price index, uh, expanded single parent uh, employment program that's going to uh, help about 2,000 more people, and finally that long awaited ban on corporate and union political donations. Again, all these things could have easily been taken out of the other guys' platform, and I think the, the, the game plan here, Chris, is basically to make this part of the BC Liberal offer to the voters when the next election comes around. So policies we didn't hear much about at all in the last election campaign, but they are going to be there in the next one. 
All right, and just in terms of timing, Keith, when is that confidence vote expected to take place? Yeah, we're going to remind people about this uh, continually. So the throne speech uh, on Thursday of this week, the confidence vote now expected to be June, uh, the following week on June 29th. So I'm not sure exactly what time of day it's going to be. We expect uh, that's going to be the time when the B.C. Liberals learn their fate, likely a defeat and likely a change in government. It's going to be an exciting week. All right, thanks very much, Keith. Thanks. Keith Baldry in Victoria. According to TransLink, the compass card system and those fare gates that were put into operation one year ago are paying off. Revenue is way up, fare evasion is down. But Ted Chernecki explains why it's still debatable if the enormous cost of building the system will be justified in the years to come. It's been just over a year since those electronic gates have been fully operational, and TransLink claims those compass cards are now being used by 95% of travelers. And despite the program being four years late and approaching $200 million in costs to implement the system, TransLink appears to have found its way to higher revenue. And at the end of the day, I think the compass card system made a ton of sense. Uh, Fairgates, I could have taken it or leaving it, but uh, overall, I think it's proven successful. Revenue from all platforms to April last year was about $387 million. This year, 2016-17, $428 million, an increase of $41 million, or 10.5%. And the number of tickets being handed out to ferry evaders has dropped dramatically from 33,000 tickets last year to 23,000 this year, down 29%. How do you think the compass card's working out? Very good, extremely well. Yeah? Very well, I'm glad... We have it. It was a big change, but I think it's working out better than before. But even with all the new technology, transit police are still writing 23,000 ferry evasion tickets a year. And who's to know if the system hasn't already been hacked, but not yet discovered? Revenue numbers in the years ahead will tell the story, but in the meantime, there's a psychological element to this. When you have a compass card, one of the things that's a psychological effect as well is people see people tapping, and when you don't, there's a community thing that, oh, you're one of those cheats, and that's a big deal too. TransLink is also promising to introduce the ability to pay fares by just scanning your smartphone or credit or debit card in the near future. Tetranaki Global News. A long-awaited bus service designed to save lives is finally taking passengers. <laughs> Excellent ride. Thank you very much. Regularly scheduled transit service began this morning along the so-called Highway of Tears between Smithers and Prince George. It was first recommended more than a decade ago in response to the murders and disappearances of at least 18 Aboriginal women along that route. This alternating three-day-a-week service was set up as a safer alternative to hitchhiking. The latest report on food prices in Canada has some good news and some bad news, depending on what you like to eat. Jennifer Palma tells us where we'll be getting a bit of a break and where we'll be hit hardest. Groceries. We all need them, but they're costing more. According to a new report, food prices are expected to rise by 3 to 4 percent this year. Everything's got to go up. Everybody has to make their money. It sucks, but what do you do, you know? <laughs> One place groceries are really going to take a bite out of your bottom line? The meat department. According to the Dalhousie University Food Price Report, this year's meat prices are set to increase 7 to 9 percent, affecting beef and pork. And if you like meat, it could cost you about 50 to 70 dollars more per month. Chicken, though, will remain the same. One thing is inventories are, are lower than expected, and a lot of producers are exiting the industry. And as a result of uh, what we call the, the, 
the animal protein crisis. So it's, it's discouraging a lot of producers to stay in the business. The New York steaks here, about a year ago again, they were $6.99 each, and we have, have had to raise the price to $7.99. At Meridian Meats, keeping pricing competitive is a challenge. With the decline in the Canadian dollar, other countries are able to buy our beef at a less expensive price, in particular the United States. So with that lower price for them, it then forces our cost up because we're selling more internationally. How about vegetables? Those are expected to go down by 2%. The only blip is Californian lettuce and celery, which has been affected by weather. Fruit, dairy and eggs are projected to remain stable. But how are these price increases affecting your grocery bill? I have certainly noticed the increase already. Maybe 50 to $75 a month. Between 20 and $30 a week. Meat prices are expected to continue increasing. A softening is coming, but not for at least another year. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Well, the city of Vancouver says it's going to take down the viaducts, but there is less certainty about the future of traffic flow in that area when they do. The $200 million post-viaduct plan would include a new arterial route. And while the exact location hasn't been decided, at least one of the proposals is making locals very unhappy. We'll tell you about that plan in just over a minute. A car carrying explosives rams a police van on the Champs-Élysées in Paris. It comes just hours after Londoners woke up to another terror attack in their city. What we're learning about both of those stories straight ahead on the news hour. And new details into the death of legendary Star Wars actress Carrie Fisher. What the autopsy reveals later on the news hour. Well, it's a hot-button issue, and tonight, fresh controversy over the impact of the removal of Vancouver's viaducts. At issue is where to put all the traffic. One option from the city of Vancouver has Strathcona residents fuming, and Jill Bennett has more on this story. Jill, the proposal would see a road cut through one of the community's parks. The William Street option would see the Cottonwood Community Gardens behind me stay, but the road extension would go through the south side of the park, and several amenities would be lost. This oval would be gone, the tennis courts would be gone, the field house would be gone. So a good couple acres of park would be gone. For Dan Jackson, this option is the worst one. The city of Vancouver is looking at three options to maintain a four-lane east-west connector route as the area develops and the viaducts come down. Malkin Avenue, with a price tag of 80 to $130 million, is one option. But the businesses on what is known as Produce Row argued they would be forced out if the road went here. The National Avenue option, with a $150 to $230 million price tag, would force the relocation of the fire training center. With the other options, there's other impacts, and I think that the, the, the stakeholders were aware of that, and that's why they've asked for this, this option to be placed back on the table. The cost of the William Street option is unclear, but residents say the cost to the community is too much. Families and dogs and the basketball court, it's... It's a really good spot for the community. The green space is so valuable in a city. Uh, you know, losing it to a roadway when there's other options. You know, it, it shouldn't. It should be. It should be valued more. So great, they're going to call Prior Street. We're going to be able to use the park, and then they're talking about putting a highway through one part of the park. This makes no sense to me at all. None. The Strathcona Residents Association is offering a fourth option on city land south of Melkin Avenue. They, they own all that property now, so it would be potentially a less expensive option. The city-owned land, well, it's, it's, uh, it's there and it's owned by the public, which is terrific, um, but the, the uses on that land right now are important to the city and must continue. 
For this plan to go ahead, it would need approval from the park board. The park board says at this point it is looking at it and looking at all of the impacts of the William Street extension. No decision has been made. Back to you. All right, Jill, thank you. Making the most out of your summer vacation dollars. It will end up probably saving you hundreds of dollars. Tips on scoring the best deals, including when to book your flight and how to choose a destination. Also ahead, a bear breakout at the Langley Critter Care. How these guys made their escape. It's BC's best Canada Day party. Join Global News live on location Saturday, July 1st, as we celebrate 150 years of the greatest country on earth. Canada Day at Canada Place with Global News. We are heading into peak summer travel season and, of course, peak prices. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrew, is here now with some tips on how to stretch your vacation dollar. And Thanks, Chris. When it comes to summertime travel, staying on budget can be a challenge, but there are ways to save money, especially if you're willing to be flexible. Trying to save money on your next vacation? Consider a connecting flight. I know that a nonstop flight is always easiest, but the reality is if you do a connecting flight, even if you can get a little short layover, it will end up probably saving you hundreds of dollars. According to CheapAir.com, the best time in summer to score the cheapest flight is on average about 76 days or about two and a half months in advance. And keep in mind the day of the week you book. Tuesdays, Wednesdays are typically cheaper days to fly in the summer, while Fridays and Sundays are often more expensive. When choosing your destination, consider places that aren't that popular during the summer season. Right now is a really good time to do, say, an all-inclusive in Mexico. We're seeing unbelievably good rates for July, August, and into September. Think Puerto Vallarta or Los Cabos, $7.99 or under, plus tax for an all-inclusive vacation. And keep an eye out for promotions. You may be able to uh, find a location where kids eat free or kids stay and eat free. So, so look to those. I also recommend finding a place that has kitchenette facilities because eating out can also make you go way over budget. Rethink your ground transportation. Instead of renting a full-size vehicle, consider taking the bus, subway system or Uber. If you don't mind traveling in, say, 10, uh, 15, 30 minutes... The further out you stay, the cheaper it will end up being. And stay off the beaten path. Choosing lodgings outside the city centre can keep you on budget. And as far as travel deals go, there are great deals across our country during Canada 150 like Niagara Falls. I'm also told that if you can book Europe after the kids go back to school, you can save a fortune. Travel agents say there are unbelievable deals to Europe in early October. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's all my information. You can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Great advice. Thanks very much, Ann. Wildlife on the loose in Langley after an improbable jailbreak of sorts. As Jeff Hastings reports, Langley's Critter Care has found itself with one less bear thanks to a problem with its roof. A little dopey after a long nap, the young bears are back behind fence following a failed bid for freedom from the Critter Care compound. Conservation officer Jack Trudgeon responded to the escape from Bear Catraz Sunday afternoon. It looks like we probably had the biggest... uh prison break from bears in history. Five bears on the roof of their enclosure. They were surprised about, oh, how'd we end up here? And we were kind of like, how'd you end up there? Maybe it was the mustache, but the bears knew at a glance they wanted no part of Jack. I don't know if they recognized my uniform or not, but they 
kind of looked startled and started jumping back to the hole. They pretty much t saw him with his dart gun and decided they were just going to get back in their enclosure. Do, do you think it was the mustache? Mustache? Of course it is. <laughs> it's believed a long, wet winter rotted the roof. They look and they see there's a little light there, so they're going to grab their little paws and they're going to pull all this stuff down. And when they realize that, uh, hey, we've got freedom. Two of the five are still guests at Critter Care. Two more have already been relocated to Squamish. One is still on the loose, but not considered dangerous. She doesn't like people. She's going to stay away. She's very much barren, will do her own thing. Like, people do not have to worry. She's not going to come up to you, and she's not going to eat your dog. Um, she's very much going to want to be on her own in the forest doing their things. It's not a public safety risk at this time. Um, we're just going to monitor it and see its behavior and we're going to go from there. And even if they're obviously thinking about it, these guys aren't going anywhere until they're released back into the wild. Jeff Hastings, Global News. Millions on alert across Europe tonight. Women and men on the floor, people bleeding. Terror strikes London again and in Paris, a suicide bomber's unsuccessful attack on the Champs-Élysées. And a heartwarming ceremony and Canada's highest honor for tragically hip frontman Gord Downing. A frightening scene on the Champs-Élysées in Paris today is being called an act of terror. Authorities say a car packed with explosives and gas canisters deliberately rammed a police vehicle. The car then exploded into that cloud of orange flame. The suspect was killed. Police say he had a handgun. They've identified him as a 31-year-old Paris resident who had been flagged in the past for potential links to extremism. And shock in London after another suspected terror attack there, the fourth in the UK in as many months. This time, Muslims were targeted when a van plowed into pedestrians as they left prayers at a mosque. At least one person died and a suspect is in custody. Moments after the attack and a driver is caught by Muslim worshippers he tried to kill. He rammed his van into men who just finished prayers. Survivors furious. Their imam protecting the man as he's handed to police. Witnesses say he'd accelerated as he mounted the sidewalk then threatened Muslims. He said, I did it and I want to kill some Muslims. He basically screamed out, I'll do it again, and then he stuck out his hand like that as a gesture to, to, to mock people. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Police say he's a terror suspect, named as 47-year-old Darren Osborne. He was not on a terror watch list. British Prime Minister Theresa May tried to reassure Muslims. Britain's leader says she's determined to stamp out extremism, but the pace of these terror attacks is accelerating and people here are angry. Four attacks in four months now. A car attack and stabbing at Westminster. A bomb at Ariana Grande's concert in Manchester. A van attack and mass stabbing at London Bridge. All of them Islamist attacks until this one. Another driver acting alone, say police. Tonight, more flowers, more defiance. London is a resilient city. We are the greatest city in the world. And it's also a city on edge. Bill Neely, NBC News, London. Evacuations continue in central Portugal today, where at least 62 people were killed and many others injured by a raging forest fire over the weekend. Many of those who died in the flames were trapped in their cars as they tried to flee on a road 200 kilometers north of Lisbon. 
The latest of the victims has been identified as one of the eight firefighters who were injured. Portugal has declared three days of mourning for the victims. An American student released from a North Korean prison last week has now died. 22-year-old Otto Warmbier was medically evacuated home to Ohio. But we're now learning he had been in a coma for a year. He'd been sentenced to 15 years of hard labor for trying to steal a propaganda poster from his hotel. North Korea claims warm beer contracted botulism and slipped into an unresponsive state after taking a sleeping pill. But U.S. doctors dispute that. Tragically hip frontman Gord Downey has received one of our country's top honors. Downey was among 30 Canadians receiving the Order of Canada during today's ceremony at Rideau Hall. The singer and social activist is being recognized for his efforts to bring attention to indigenous issues, including Canada's dark history with residential schools. Downey's bandmates have also been named to the order. They will receive their medals at a later date. It's summer blockbuster season, the time when all sorts of superheroes are flying into battle at the multiplex. And for some courageous kids, their Hollywood dreams of joining them on the big screen are coming true, thanks to some big-hearted filmmakers. He's too strong. If only Connor were here. As far as superheroes go, he's tiny. But this full-fledged Power Ranger makes up for his diminutive size with heart. Six-year-old Connor Goldhammer battles osteogenesis imperfecta, or brittle bone disease. The slightest contact can cause a fracture. We guesstimate over 200 breaks from sneezing or from trying to stand or just moving a bone. Yet throughout the pain and operations, this little fighter keeps his spirits up. His inner strength, in part, comes from his idols, the Power Rangers. And that's where these two friends from Hollywood come in. Jamie Trueblood and Jesse Wilson created For the Win, an organization that puts young heroes like Connor on the silver screen, literally. They're already heroes. They're fighting. They're fighting something real. It's bad. For the Win set up an entire movie shoot for Connor with lights, cameras, and plenty of action. Awesome. Connor was even invited to the red carpet premiere of the latest Power Rangers film. Best of all, friends and family all got to screen the movie trailer For the Win produced just for him. He even autographed copies of his very own movie poster. So what's it like being an A-lister? It's the best day of my life. Really? Yeah. They'll watch over and over again during the day, and uh, that gives them that charge, you know, to get through the day. Because when the Connor Ranger's in the room, everyone is energized. Kevin Tibbles, NBC News, Fort Mill, South Carolina. Energized indeed. A river rescue caught on video. The hero. She didn't hesitate to jump in after a kitten, but the kitten had other plans. And actress Carrie Fisher had cocaine in her system when she died, but that's not everything the toxicology test is revealing. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Security cameras capture a man leaving home on a beautiful morning, and what scared him back inside almost immediately? That's coming up that? right after the What's forecast. That, <laughs> that, that <laughs> video is going uh, viral. Let's check in with uh, Yvonne Schell now for a look at our forecast. And we mentioned earlier 
uh, how many people are waiting for summer to get going, and it looks like that may be in the distant forecast anyway. Yes, and summer is officially only one day away. We officially welcome it tomorrow evening, and our first full day will be on Wednesday. What that will bring in just a moment, but there are a few breaks out there. We've been underneath that cloud cover. It will continue for many spots overnight and in towards our Tuesday morning and then a clearing towards the afternoon. 18 as the current temperature with a northwesterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. That's the high for today. An average for this time of the year sits at 19 and a record on this day would be 28 degrees set back in 1982. A few other numbers across the province today still closer to seasonal values or the average for this time of the year for the Thompson Okanagan. Kamloops today up to 24 degrees. Central interior closer to 19. Coastal areas for Tofino today at 19 degrees and Victoria still climbing up to a high of 20 today. We've got some instability this evening and that's for the central interior and the southeastern corners of the province. We are going to still track some moisture across the north and central coast for both this evening and similar for your Tuesday, Wednesday with coastal sections still seeing an additional 15 and potentially up to 25 millimeters of rainfall by tomorrow evening. Ridge of high pressure is going to build in place across the south coast and we will start to see some breaks as a result. Northern sections for tomorrow will be up to 12 degrees across the coast. Inland with Smithers, some breaks by the afternoon and 14. A risk of a thunderstorm, the instability is there for the central interior and the Columbia region late afternoon tomorrow. Most areas near Castlegar will see some breaks by the afternoon and 28 degrees. 27 is the high tomorrow for areas near Soyuz. Whistler will also start to see a clearing by the afternoon, a high of 21 degrees in areas near Hope. We'll also see some breaks in the cloud and a high of 23 degrees. Eastern section starting off with that cloud cover across the island and for much of the south coast. A very slight chance for the morning hours that we could still see an isolated shower. Much drier towards the afternoon. Victoria will be up to 22 degrees and areas near Tofino a touch cooler at 16. Officially seeing summer, our first day will be on Wednesday. We'll actually get into a fair bit of sunshine Wednesday onwards. Temperatures leading into the weekend will be into the low 20s. Inland over the next few days, also into the low 20s, and it should remain dry even leading in towards next weekend. A birthday or an anniversary announcement this evening going out to Ray and Mac Waghorn from North Vancouver celebrating their 72nd wedding anniversary. So congratulations to you both, and I hope you've had a wonderful day. And tonight's weather window is from Powell River and from Gary. It went by too fast. Let's see if we can get back to it. It was a beautiful sunset, I guarantee you. Just like the one we're going to have around here. Absolutely. Well, we It'll be posted anyway, on our Gary. Facebook page as well, if you oh. missed it. All right, we'll see it on Facebook. Thanks yes. very much, Yvonne. Some hilarious videos circulating online shows a man leaving home only to turn and hustle back inside, obviously scared of something. There's no word on where this happened, but he is wearing a Cleveland Cavaliers hat. He takes a few steps onto the sidewalk when he suddenly and very quickly retreats back onto the safety of the front porch. A couple of seconds later, we see why. A mama skunk walks past the porch, followed by five babies, all with their tails ominously sticking straight up. And that was a kitten falling into a Florida river after being stuck on the edge of a bridge. Luckily, a woman on a water bike was right there, and she managed to chase it down and Woo! grab it. The hero! Woo! Crowds cheering, but the rescue isn't over yet because the kitten had some other ideas and tried to jump to safety. Try and jump off of there. Oh, 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 on the other side. 
kittens aren't too bright. Unsuccessful attempt. As you can see, the woman swam to the other side of her bike, rescued the kitten again, and finally got it onto dry land. Kitten's okay. Likes, likes to swim, apparently. <laughs> or try to, to swim. swim. He likes Wonderful to swim. Kittens. I think very rare. <laughs> uh, all right, nice to have you uh, sitting in for Christy. Squire is here now with a look at sports. Uh, I can't believe it's going to be summer solstice here. The days are so long. And now they're only going to get shorter, unfortunately. <laughs> what is it, two Focus minutes? on the sunshine. Is it two minutes the other way or something like that? Yes, I think so. So it starts ticking off. That's all right. Quick, but I we'll, know. We'll enjoy the, the late, late nights. Tough getting kids to bed, of course, when it's so late. What are you working on? Well, we don't have that problem. No. <laughs> you can tell us about it sometime. <laughs> I wouldn't bore you with the details. Um, okay, so the Canucks, uh, of course, we haven't heard much from them lately because uh, they haven't had much to do since the season ended except get ready for the draft, and the draft is at the end of this week. So it's not just the center the Canucks are looking for in the draft at the draft. They would also like an offensive defenseman as well. A guy that can run the power play, that has a hard shot, gets it on net. So that's a need. We'll look at the top defensemen on the Canucks list for this week's draft. And the cocktail of drugs that may have played a part in the death of Carrie Fisher. What the autopsy reveals. Coming up. All right, Squires here with sports and some big news involving a Canadian sprinter who really captured a lot of hearts at the last Olympics. That's right. Andre de Grasse. He'll be in town June 28th for the Harry Jerome sold out, and you can imagine why. But he is going to run two races. He'll run both the 100 and the 200. So Mm. people will see him blaze around the track twice at the Harry Jerome, those who are lucky enough to have tickets for this year's event. Okay, this is a big week for the Vancouver Canucks. It's a drafty week. It's drafty. Mm. We're doing some weather here. You got the uh, expansion draft for the Vegas Golden Knights on Wednesday, then the NBA draft on Thursday, and then the NHL draft for the young kids is Friday and Saturday. And just like last year, just like most people, the Canucks had no luck in the lottery. They ended up picking fifth overall, or they will be picking fifth overall. They did that last year. Now, they have talked to the four teams ahead of them to see if anybody wants to switch picks. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. So sitting in fifth, what would Jim Benning like to have? Well, he needs help down the middle, and he would also, as we said before the break, appreciate a defenseman who can produce goals, not just prevent them. Need a true, you know, power play, a guy that can score, you know, put up 50, 60 points on the back end. You know, a guy that can run the power play, that has a hard shot and gets it on net. So that's a need, as is, you know, a playmaking center iceman like, um, you know, Henrik's, you know, has this year left on his contract, and, and then we'll see after that. But, you know, looking past Henrik, you know, we need uh, a guy that can come in and, you know, play in our top nine and, and set the wingers up for scoring chances. So that's, that's definitely a need. Now, the good news is there are an abundance of centermen in this year's draft. So even at number five, Vancouver will have a shot at one. He also mentioned defensemen. So with that in mind... We asked Jim Benning about many scouts' top three blue liners heading into the draft. The Canucks went with a defenseman last year, of course. They took Ole Yolevi. It surprised a lot of people. A lot of us thought they would go for Matthew Kachuk. They went for Yolevi instead. And even though they had a blue liner last year, it doesn't mean they won't go for one this year. And when you look at the top of this year's draft, how things fall might depend on how soon defensemen are taken. I think the wild card in this year's draft is, is defensemen.
when you watch him play, the foundation of his game, his ability to skate, uh, push the play, jump up in the play, um, his shot from the point, he's got a hard, accurate shot. Um, it doesn't matter what league you know he'd be playing in, he'd have the same results. You know, we've seen a lot of good defensemen coming out of Finland the last couple of years, and he, his biggest asset is he's so smart and he plays, you know, such a cool game. Um, you know, when he has the puck on his stick, he always makes the right play, moving it up ice, and he can jump up in the play. So, um, you know, they're both good defensemen. Well, he has all the physical ability to, to be... You know, that prototypical uh, defenseman, power play defenseman. He's a great skater. He can skate the puck up the ice. He's got a good shot from the point on the power play. Um, this year, his season from, you know, playing in the uh, Swedish Elite League and then going down and then getting hurt, and, you know, it didn't kind of go as planned. Uh, but you can't discount the skill set and the physical ability that he has. I know when I talk to other managers, there's a there's a premium now on you know mobile puck moving defensemen. So you know I think that's the wild card. Like I don't know you know what teams up top are thinking they're going to take a defenseman, and you know and that's going to put a wrench in, in how the players get picked. See, everybody wants an Eric Carlson now. They saw what Eric Carlson did for Ottawa, almost got him to the finals, pretty much single-handedly. They all won an Eric Carlson. Uh, last week, Whitecaps defender Shannon Williams was charged with assault, but today Crown stayed that charge, meaning they will not pursue the case at this time, but they do have a year to refile. Williams had been suspended by Major League Soccer because of it. Now the question is, does that stay mean the suspension will be lifted soon? Whitecaps supported the suspension at the time it was announced, but it is still up to the league's head office as to what the next move will be with Shane and Williams. MLS alone has the authority to lift this suspension and let Williams back onto the Caps' active roster. They haven't commented yet. All right, there's everybody's favorite in Texas, Jose Bautista. It's Jays, it's Rangers, it's Justin Smoke for the 20th time this year going over the wall. That's a solo shot in the second. It's now even, 1-1. Jays have the bases loaded. Steve Pierce unloads them with a double. So everybody gets a chance to cross the plate. That's one. That's two. Here comes three. Safe. Blue Jays leading 5-1 in the fourth. Confederations Cup is going on in Russia. It's Australia and Germany today. This is basically a dress rehearsal for next year's World Cup. Uh, Germany defending champs in the World Cup of soccer, but they don't have many of their veterans in this lineup. A lot of kids, but they're still good. Australia, though, Tommy Rogic with the goal there to make it 1-1. It's now 2-1 for Germany, and Leon Gretzka will make it 3-1 for the Germans, and they would hold on for a 3-2 win in this game. One more look. The keeper, unable to stop that. 3-2 the final. We mentioned the NBA draft this Thursday night, and the Boston Celtics traded the first overall pick to the Philadelphia 76ers for the 76ers pick, which was third overall, and the Celtics will also get a future first-round pick, either next year or 2019. So the Celtics loaded up on draft picks, and the 76ers get the pick first overall 
for the second straight year. And the guy they will likely take will be from the University of Washington. Huskies guard Markel Fultz, who worked out for the 76ers. And the feeling in is, I should say, he is the reason Philly traded up. The Celtics liked Fultz, but not as much as Philadelphia did. He averaged 23 points per game as a freshman, despite playing on a rather bad UW team. Last year, the 76ers had the first overall pick. They took Ben Simmons, and he missed the entire year with a foot injury. Mm. There you go. Hopefully they have better luck with him. They were putting him through the paces there, weren't they? Oh, yes, they were. I remember when the Grizzlies put Steve Nash through the paces and didn't think he could play here. Thanks for that. That was a wrong decision. Oh, yes, it was. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. We'll check in now with Jay Duran for a preview of what they've decided to show on Global News at 11 tonight. Jay? Thank you, Chris. Significant delays on SkyTrain right in the middle of the commute tonight. The Expo line was shut down in sections because of a track intrusion in New Westminster. Service is starting to resume now. We are reaching out for details. And the Vancouver Park Board is talking about the future of Vancouver's pools and beaches. There are several proposals on the table, including a floating pool in False Creek and a natural pool along the Fraser River. A staff report will be discussed tonight. We'll have that and much more coming up tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. All right, Jay, thanks very much for that. And when we wrap it up tonight, Carrie Fisher often wrote openly and humorously about her battles with drug addiction and mental illness. And it turns out those struggles never ended. That story when we return. Some startling findings today from the autopsy report into the death of actress Carrie Fisher. It turns out she had heroin, cocaine, and ecstasy, among other drugs, in her system. But examiners say that may not be what killed her. Death revealed Carrie Fisher never escaped the grip of drugs in life. Cocaine, heroin, and ecstasy found in her system. The coroner's report says the cocaine was taken within 72 hours of when Fisher slumped over on a London to Los Angeles flight December 23rd. She died four days later. A lot of people just, you know, wish she could have found the help and the peace that she needed. Somebody has to save our skins. Fisher's portrayal of Star Wars Princess Leia made her a movie icon. Her struggles with mental illness and drugs humanized her. I make very difficult situations in my life funny as quickly as possible. She was born into celebrity, the daughter of crooner Eddie Fisher and actress Debbie Reynolds. Mother and daughter were so close, Reynolds died the day after Fisher. Over the weekend, Fisher's daughter, Billy Lord, said in a statement, I know my mom. She'd want her death to encourage people to be open about their struggles. Carrie Fisher certainly was. Ann Thompson, NBC News, New York. Certainly did shed a lot of light on, on mental illness and, and addiction issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, final words maybe before we go. Christy's off today. She picked a decent day to go, but they get better as summer arrives in a couple of days. Yeah, so we're just one day away. Tomorrow at around 9.24 uh, in the 